I want to I want to come back to where I was at two weeks ago on uh, Matthew five. We're going to go back there again because um, there's some things that's been added to this since since I first opened the idea up. So I want to review a couple things and then um, I just give you what I'm seeing. So. When, we, when we're looking at Matthew 5, of course, there's this, this dissection. Uh, Matthew 5, starting with verse 3, of blessed or happy are you when various things um, transpire. So let me read the verses and then we'll come back. So starting with verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed or happy are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Happy are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they are called the sons of God. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely for my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So we walked through each of these verses um, the first time, and I'm not going to go back and, and do that. I, I want to just add another perspective to, to what I'm seeing in these verses. So a lot of us that have been in the church for a while our introduction into the kingdom of God often looked like this. Jesus saves me. To which I now live a moral life So that when I die, I get to go to heaven. And, and that's that we, we can, we can I, I know believers that have lived their whole life, and this is all of the kingdom of God they've ever thought about, focused on or participated in. And oftentimes, we get this little deal here, it becomes the big deal. And so we often, in our prayers, in our thoughts, in our devotions, in our speech, in our mindsets, we we view everything through whatever the moral code is. And it depends who you're talking to, what their moral code is. Right? And some moral codes, when I look at it, anyway, 
I don't find any morality in that code at all. But for them, no, this is a moral code. Um, if, I, you know, if I can, not wanting to jump into this cliff right now, but if I can say it anyway, there are folks who go to church every Sunday and adamantly believe that the Bible supports racism. And that's their moral code. I look at that and go, that right there, one, the Bible doesn't do it. Two, that's not moral. It's downright unjust. But in their world, in their worldview, they feel they're absolutely correct. So this, this moral life, this moral code gets really messy. And in the church, oftentimes, we try to move towards this place of a unified moral code. That gets even messier. The problem is this whole mindset, this whole religious structure is not biblical. It's not how God interacts with humanity. Our goal is not get saved. And again, what does that look like? Well, did you come down to the altar? We don't even have an altar. Well, then you didn't get saved. Did you kneel? No, I actually was standing in a parking lot. Did you cry? Did you say the sinner's prayer? Yeah. Did you do Romans Road? <laughs> and you're like, no, I missed all that. Well, boy, you're not saved. No, you're just deceived. Well, I think I talk to God on a regular basis. Can't be. You're just talking to demons. But it sounds like Jesus. You're just deceived. And we get it, again, it gets muddy. Very muddy. <laughs> the problem is this. Yes, we need to, this piece here is yes. <laughs> At some point, I need to have an encounter with the Messiah. I need to have an encounter with the living God. How that encounter happens when that encounter happens, and all the bits and pieces of that encounter are individual to me as the person having the encounter. Yes. Thank you. But it is with Jesus. And ultimately, my heart is converted because of that encounter. Whosoever believes shall be saved. Not who follows my moral code. Now, so are you telling us we don't have to be moral? Are you telling us that we can just do anything we want? No. I'm saying this is the focus, not this. When we flip it and make this how we judge everything... We're missing the kingdom. And this thing over here, if I live my whole life trying to get out of here to go here, I've missed what here is. Because here is over here. 
Through the New Testament, the, king, the term, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are interchangeable. They're not two different things. They're, all, the, all the writers, including Jesus, who didn't do the writing, he just did the speaking, interchanged them, depending on where they wanted to place an emphasis. So am I go, when I die, do I go to heaven? Yes, if I've had this encounter. So yeah, I go to heaven. But Mike, that's not the goal. So where does that leave us then? What am I supposed to be doing? Well, we're supposed to be doing <laughs> this. <laughs> I told you I was going to have fun. Ian can't have all that fun. <laughs> so. What I, what I began to see with this, with this whole section here in Matthew 5, I've, I, I know I've done it preaching. I also know I've done it living. And I know many of us have done the same. We pull out which verse we need for what's going on. That's right, yes. So... If I'm feeling poor in spirit, I'll pull that verse and say, well, mine's the kingdom of heaven. You know, if, if I'm in a place of, um, you know, mourning, then I, then I know that I'm going to be comforted. Each, each, of these, each of these, I will extract a verse and stick it into my experience and then try to make that verse be the, the biblical solution for where I am. I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. One, as I said the other week, this follows the Deuteronomy um, model of blessing. Blessed are you, blessed are you, blessed are you. So Jesus is following uh, the, the Deuteronomy model, which these are verses that are building on each other, not are independent with each other. So we start off, like we talked, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But the kingdom of heaven isn't in the sweet by and by. The kingdom of heaven is today. So what we talked about with the poor spirit, that, and I, again, I used um, Adam Clark's commentary for this, but how Adam takes us through this idea that if I'm, um, and he actually likens it to, uh, he pulls some verses out of Homer's The Iliad because we have to keep in mind, Greek thinking at the time of Jesus was the predominant philosophy on the earth. So the philosophers of both Plato, Socrates, they were the ones that held sway in the general thinking. So Jesus is saying um, that we're not under the fate of the gods. We're, we don't live in a place where when the gods are angry, we all pay a price for what the gods are doing. So this place of being poor in spirit is saying, when I, blessed are you when you're poor in spirit. Blessed am I when I'm free from being controlled by the thought that my life is either fate or coincidence or circumstance. I am not ruled by fate. I live in the providence of God. So 
Happy am I when I find myself in a place of poor of spirit because in that place, I know I am this, whatever's happening in my life right now, it's not happening just by circumstance. This is not a twist of fate that's put me where it's put me. I'm walking through life and in this life that I'm walking through, I walk in the providence of God, which means, again, we talked about the providence is that the, the one that's providing the providence is always setting something ahead of me, out in front of me for my good, and it functions as a sign pointing me on to my next step. So I live in this place where the providence of God is always before me. So if I'm, if I'm in a rough spot, I am not there by fate. I am walking through life but God is walking through it with me, and in, what, and in walking with me, his providence is for me, and I rest in the fact that I serve a good father, and this good father has prepared the, my steps, and I can now take the next step, the next step, the next step, and each of those steps, even as Jackie shared, it doesn't mean those steps are without pain, but they are the next step. And they're designed to get me to the next step. And not every step is painful. There's a lot of steps that are full of joy, full of possibility, full of explosion of his presence. There's, I, I don't know, I, I mean, I've had some really painful situations in my life, but I have to say at my age, I can say the sum total of my life has been filled more with joy than with pain. And when I hit the places of pain, his providence was for me, and it led me through it. I saw things that I wouldn't have seen probably without it. And he brought me to places that I never would have gotten to if I not had walked that path. It shaped me as the person that I am. It's shaping you as the person you are. So it's all in his providence. So when I'm in this place of poor of spirit... Mine is the kingdom of heaven. So if, if we can look at it this way, this is, because this is my progression towards maturity, this is my first step. Because before I knew Jesus, I, ne- I lived in this place where life threw at me whatever it threw at me. I had to deal with it however I could deal with it. I had no, I had no thought of something outside of me wanting good for me. It, and at least speaking for me, the, the only thoughts I had of something outside of me before I met Jesus was if something went bad, I didn't really know how to blame God because I didn't know who God was but I did blame fate. I did blame circumstances. I would get angry at, why the heck am I here again? Why the heck, you know, just because I was going 90 didn't mean the stupid cop had to pull me over and give me a ticket. I mean, he could have given me a warning. Yeah, yeah, you should have understood all that stuff. I, I would, so I would get mad at my circumstances and somehow feel that life was against me. But I, I, I didn't know enough to articulate God exactly into that. But then I meet Jesus. And shortly after meeting him, I discovered something amazing. 
I can actually talk to the God that I now know. So I was introduced to prayer. And when I was introduced to prayer, I was introduced to this, there's this ongoing dialogue that one, he wants to talk to me. And now I've discovered I want to talk to him. And it actually feels good to have this. So then when I found myself in a place of poor of spirit, I wasn't there alone. I wasn't there in silence. I was actually there with the God who speaks, which then introduced me to the kingdom of heaven. There's something going on around me, like Anne brought up at the beginning. There's something going on around us that is bigger than us. We don't even see most of what's going on, and yet it's happening on a continual basis. When I come to that place of being poor in spirit and, and meet Jesus there, what I'm introduced to is that this kingdom is an ongoing kingdom. It's happening all the time, 24-7. I've been now made a part of it. It's been made a part of me. And my first step is I start to realize the kingdom of heaven. And it liberates me, it starts to liberate me from the lies that I've believed about me, about the environment around me, about how stuff in life happens. And I've, now I've discovered there is this kingdom of heaven that is functioning. And then I meet the person of Holy Spirit and realize, wow, he's speaking all the time. He comes in power. He, he does supernatural stuff. I don't live any longer just in a natural realm. I've actually been brought into the kingdom of heaven, which is supernatural. It's beyond me. It's beyond my capabilities. It's beyond my anything about me. So my first step is I learn this. Now, the other thing to keep in mind as we walk through this progression, every one of these are twofold. I get a personal benefit to begin with, but I'm not the keeper of it, I'm the giver of it. So when I run into somebody else who's poor of spirit, and I've experienced the journey through poor of spirit into the kingdom of heaven, I get to give that away. I get to say, man, I know, I know, I was where you were. And I've discovered that the world is full of people that are waiting for somebody to have that conversation with them. Not the conversation about what moral standard you got, but by the conversation of who Jesus is and that he's available to all. So the first step is the kingdom of heaven. So our next step, you know, is happier are those that mourn for they shall be comforted. Again, now when I see that the kingdom of heaven is in me and around me, that I have a relationship now with the God of the universe, when I find myself in this place where I'm mourning, now I know I, that I can be comforted. And not only can I be comforted, but now I can comfort those in the same way in which I was comforted. So now I get to give away something. I've gained a quality of life. And I get to give that quality away to other people. Because now I know the comfort of God. 
you know, testimonies this morning talk about the comfort of God. That's what we're, you know, I don't know, I don't think you have to get very far into the kingdom and you've experienced the comfort of God at some level. So now we're maturing. I now have a view of the kingdom of heaven, what it is, and who I am in it. Now I've taken the next step and I realize that when I'm in a place of mourning, God is always with me. And I will be comforted in places of mourning. He'll find me. He'll get me out of the mud. He'll get me out of the corner. He'll get me out of the dark. He'll find me wherever I am and he will bring comfort to me. So now I'm learning something about Father God and how, who he is and who I am in him. Yes. Yes. So happier are those that mourn for they shall inherit oh, for they shall be comforted. Yes. Right. I can be sad. Thank you. I was reading a different verse. I'm sorry. I just think that's huge. It is. Because we don't let ourselves be sad because if I'm sad, there's no comfort. Yeah. Why would I? You have to face the pain yeah. to get to the other side. If you don't face the pain, all you're doing is stuffing it. Yep. And it will eat you alive. Yep. Or your loved ones. Yeah, or your loved ones. <laughs> yeah, usually both. Yep. Yep. Because if I if I said last time, if I'm going to mourn, obviously there's been some loss. I don't mourn when my team wins the championship. If I do, you need counseling. <laughs> we we mourn because there's a sense of loss of some at some level, you know, and yes. So face it, allow the pain to work its work. Mourning is built into us. The ability to mourn is built into us by the creator. Um, It's a psychological pressure valve that if we don't allow it to do what it needs to do, we will explode. Happier the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I jumped ahead of myself. So first, I'm discovering what the kingdom of heaven is. Now I'm understanding what it's like to actually walk through life and mourn properly, learn comfort, learn how to deal with grief and those things. The next one is the, that now that brings me to a place of being meek because they'll inherit the earth. Meek does not mean weak. Um, yeah, for meek it says, who are not easily provoked to anger, who patiently bear and put up with injuries and affronts, carry themselves courteously to all, have the lowly thoughts of themselves and the best of others, do not envy gifts and graces of other men, are willing to be instructed and admonished, quietly submit to the will of God in adverse dispensation of providence, ascribe all they have and are to the grace of God. That's what the meek do. 
when I, when, my, when I come to this place of maturity that I can actually walk in meekness, now I'm safe to inherit the earth. If I can't do what I just read, I'm just a loose cannon. And thank God he doesn't give me the earth. And you should too. Because I, I have not matured to the place where I can walk in meekness. So now, I know what the, I'm living in the kingdom of heaven. I understand how God comes and works through pain and, and uh, difficult situations. And I understand the comfort there. I'm able to give that comfort to others. My heart gets transformed. I'm at this place of meekness. And in meekness now, I can begin to inherit the earth. God can put me in places. He can expand my sphere of influence into places that I would not be able to get to otherwise because I walk in meekness, because I'm trustworthy there. You're trustworthy there. Happy are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We talked about this before. The word righteousness, probably with most of us, when we hear that word, it takes our minds back to the moral code. I'm righteous when I'm doing this particular moral code. The biblical definition of righteousness is being in right relationship with Yahweh, with God. That's righteousness. It's not what I do, it's who I'm with that makes me righteous. Abraham believed God and it was attributed to him as righteousness. And then he went out and lied about his wife. Did some other stuff as well. And then God goes, I think I'm going to make you a father of many nations. <laughs> and he did. He made a covenant with him that we are all now the partakers of that covenant. Because the issue was, was not the moral code. The issue was the relationship. Abraham had had an encounter with the living God and he believed God for something that was beyond himself. And that was attributed as righteousness. So again, are you saying, so we can just do whatever we want, just live willy-nilly, we don't have to worry about anything? No. What I'm saying is, in the places of maturity, where God is dealing with moral issues in my heart will be dealt with. But they're the byproduct of relationship. They're not the doorway into the relationship. So, yeah, where are we at? Right here. They'll be satisfied. Yes, satisfaction. That's good. So when we're when we come to this place where now I'm in I, I I'm in right relationship with God. To be in right relationship with God means I am actually seeing Him for who He is, both in the world and in myself. It means that now my view of God is not some idolatrous view of some God that I've made up in my head that justifies something I'm trying to justify or attacks something that I don't like or whatever I'm doing with all these ideas. Well, I thank God this, I thank God that. I, I, 
When we, when we say God is holy, holy needs to be set apart. So we're told, be holy as God is holy. So I'm to be set apart towards him as he's already set apart towards me. So when I'm in this place where I'm hungering and I'm thirsting after God, I just want more of you. I want, more, I want a deeper relationship with you. I want it more intimate. I want to hear your voice better. I want my life to just reflect you. I should have a mask on right there. I want my life to reflect you. Well, I can't make a noise without talking, so I'll do it. I want my, I, I'm hungering and I'm thirsting after this. I want that righteousness. I want that right place with you in my heart. I want this, this intimacy with you to always be my default place. I've spent years running away from God because of the moral code. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to know that my relationship with him always brings with it the invitation to run to him regardless of my circumstances. Because he's not interested in giving me a lecture of where I messed up. He's interested in giving, him, giving me himself, which empowers me to be all that I'm supposed to be. And I start seeing that I was created for more than just giving in to base desires. I was created with destiny and potential. I was created to image him on the earth. I was created to be a conduit that his power is going to touch the earth through. And so things fall away because they're just not necessary. I never could make them go away anyway. I tried. Never really worked. But then when I found I falling in love with him, they fell off anyway. And I didn't have to try. Yeah, I, I, this, this is kind of a simple story, but um, true nonetheless. So you just have to consider the source. <laughs> I, uh, you know, in, in my earlier years, I smoked. I was a Marlboro man. I like the flip top. I like the box. I liked everything about being a Marlboro man. And then I got saved. And I decided I didn't want to be a Marlboro man anymore. I just wanted to be a Jesus man. And so I was trying to quit smoking. I don't know. Two packs a day we were at. We were like chimneys. <laughs> yeah. So I tried multiple times to quit and failed every time. I was frustrated. I was sure God was angry at me. I just, you know, I, this is just should be so simple. Why can't I just quit smoking? I'd go through all these things. I'd beat myself up. Um, I'd tell Linda I'd quit, but I still kept a pack on my toolbox at work. And the funny thing is about smoking, you don't know you stink. And then you wonder how people, why well, don't smoke? 
I don't know, what have you been doing, burning leaves? <laughs> Especially your wife. Say, like, I didn't have a cigarette. Quit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't have a cigarette. It's like, you're lying. Yes, I am. So I tried and I tried to quit, and it didn't work. And, and one day, because I, I wanted to, and I did feel a level of conviction about it. And looking back, I'm thankful for that. It's made me a healthier person. Um, but I tried and tried, couldn't do it, couldn't do it, couldn't do it. And finally, like in frustration, I said, Lord, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm not quitting smoking. I'm just not going to do it. But I am going to ask myself each time that I want a cigarette, do I really want a cigarette right now, or could I wait five minutes? I'm just going to ask myself that question. Once I let myself off the hook of trying to quit, it didn't happen like in the first day, but I smoked less and less and less, and the gaps got wider and wider and wider until finally the cigarettes were gone. And so to this day, I've never quit smoking. If I really want a cigarette, I'm going to smoke it. I'll be sick as a dog. <laughs> but I'm going to smoke it. Yeah, I'll be a Marlboro man again. The interesting thing is, I've never wanted one. My desire changed, not because of the moral code, but because of the relationship. And I've found that principle to work in a lot of things in my life over time. There's just something about, something inside of me, and I think you have the same thing inside of you. The minute we say, I'm not going to, that voice says, oh, yes, you are. Just saying, that may just be me. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So happy are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. So now I've, I'm progressing through this. I'm maturing in, my, in who I am in him and who he is in me. I'm understanding things. Now they bring me to this place where I receive mercy. So I know that mercy is a part of my life. I know that it comes to me. But I also now am merciful. I can see people differently in mercy than I saw people before. You know, one of the things with mercy, and it probably pertains to some of these other things as well, anytime I become locked into a belief, a structure, a goal, in this particular season, other things that are in the atmosphere, if when I get locked into that, if I lose sight of the people standing in front of me, I've ceased to be merciful. Most of the atmospheres we're all encountering right now is to dehumanize the people standing in front of us and using various words and philosophies and politics and all the stuff. 
but I'm convinced that if anything I'm holding in my heart makes you disappear in front of me as a human being, I'm on the wrong track. Jesus saw everyone that was in front of him, the good, the bad, the ugly. His friends and his foes, but he saw them. And we're, we should be at a place that we see. We see. Because if I can't see, if I can't be merciful, if I can't be more interested in your journey and your story of how you got to where you are than I am about what I hold as my doctrine or my theology or my, my bias, whatever it is, if I can't be more interested in you I've left the kingdom. I don't mean like I'm not saved. You know what I mean. I'm just, I'm not, I'm not being merciful. I sat with someone that I am on very opposite, on the political spectrum, I'm on very opposite points of view from this individual. And they called me a couple weeks ago. We spent like two hours talking. The goal of our conversation was not to persuade either one of us to step across the line. It was, I just need to hear you. And at the end, I had not changed my core values, and they had not changed their core values. But I did and do have an understanding of how they arrived at where they're at. It makes sense to me when they say, this is why I see things this way. And I, di I didn't make them my enemy. They're still my friend. Not only that, we've agreed to meet for further discussion. Again, not with the goal of changing each other, but I can tell you I did change in that conversation. I didn't change my core values, but listening helped me understand. It helped me see their heart. It helped me hear their story. And when I heard their story, I get it. I get it, because it's not my story. It's different from me. I get it. I get why you feel that way. When, we give mer when we're merciful, we understand there's a flow in the kingdom of mercy. Okay. Yes. What you're talking about is relationship. One of the most important relationships we have is with God. The next one that you can do the same exact thing is, is with our wives or our husbands. If we would live like this, our marriages would be different. Yeah. Everybody hear that? If you didn't, Bob was just saying this, this it deals with the relationship with God and how that functions. This is also translatable into our marriages. And this is, we can do this as husbands and wives with each other in the same way we can do it with people that we just interact with. Happier are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. Now we're up to step six. Start stuff gets, starts getting happening here. 
So I've matured through this. I'm maturing through this. It's not, I don't, in my life anyway, it's not been linear. linear. I, I do good for a while and then I get lazy and I don't do good for a while. And then I realize, oh, that's not working. So then I go back to doing good again and getting back into relationships. So my, mine, mine kind of looks like this. I know you guys are better than that, but that's been my experience. So here, <clears throat> happier are the pure in heart. I submit to you that when these steps have been at work in us and changing us, when I get to this point, I am pure in heart. I'm not pure in heart because of the moral code. I'm pure in heart because of the relationship I have with Yahweh and what's that and how that's conformed me to his image. And now I'm pure in heart. So I can start to be trusted with things and walk through things from a pure heart. Well, what's it mean to have a pure heart? It just means I'm not offendable. I'm, I'm for you. I'm for your good, even if you don't see it. I'm for you, even if it doesn't all work out the way I would like it to. I'm for you. I'm not holding anything against you. I have nothing that separates you from me, and I'm putting nothing in you that separates you from God. And when I'm pure in heart, I see God. It brings me right back to where I started in my very first step. Now I see God. I'm able to walk into a situation, be with other people. It can be a miserable situation with all kinds of crap going on. And I can walk into that situation and see God. Because I know he's with me. I've experienced these other things already. He shaped my heart towards that. And now I can walk into a situation, be pure of heart, and start giving all this away. I just walk into the room. Hey, I know you all are like at each other's throat fighting like crazy. I'm just here because it's Christmas. I brought some gifts. Here, have this gift. Here, have that gift. Here, have another. Isn't Christmas great? And we've talked about this before, but many of us experienced those places where we've walked in, maybe on the job site, you walk into a place and the tension is so thick you can cut it and everybody's at each other's throat. And, if, and instead of getting pulled into that situation, we stay pure of heart, we start releasing something else and we shift the whole atmosphere. Only the pure of heart can do that. If I'm not pure of heart, I'm just going to size up the room and take a side. All right. I can see God now, and I'm seeing him clearly. It's not a God I'm creating. It's the God that created me, and I can see him. And in this piece, happy are the peacemakers, for they are called the sons of God. I have said this more times than I can count. You know, I am a son of God. We say that a lot. We, you know, man, listen, you're a son, you're a daughter of God. Man. I have a little different view right now. Jesus did not start with this. He started with this. The hallmark of a son you're a peacemaker. 
Happy are the peacemakers, they shall be called sons of God. And so my question is, what am I doing? Am I a peacemaker or am I a divider? Am I a peacemaker or am, or am I someone that stirs it up? Maybe I need to be more careful about calling myself a son. Now hear what I'm saying, I'm not, that's not a blanket statement. I'm just saying, I run, I'll hurry up and say, I'm a son, I'm a son, because I'm trying to get something. Instead of, I'm a son because I'm trying to give something. I want to be the peacemaker. I don't want to just be a son so I can acquire. I want to be a peacemaker because they're called the sons of God. I know we're all inherently sons and daughters, so please don't, I'm, I'm not trying to take something away from you. I'm just saying, there's a characteristic in a son and a daughter, and it ought to be in my life before I call myself a son. And dear God, if we ever lived in a time when the peacemakers are needed, it's now. It's now. That's a good point. Because this is about maturity. If I'm a son and I'm a peacemaker, I'm actively involved in release, releasing the kingdom on the earth. Throwing up or... Because if you're a baby, you're throwing up all over everybody. That's a good visual. Yep, you're a son, but you just barfed all down my back. I can feel you can feel the anointing just rise in the room right then, couldn't you? Stay away from the meat. Yep. So when I have experienced and I live in each of these realms, it brings me to this place, which is at this point, I am imaging Christ on the earth and I'm releasing the kingdom and I'm making a difference that goes beyond me, goes beyond you, that we're actual peacemakers. <laughs> you know, peacemakers don't care about who gets the credit. Peacemakers don't care whether their name makes it on the roster or not. Peacemakers care about the end product. The community that's at stake. Yes. Yes. 
happy are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the sons of God. Yeah. 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 And once we hit here, Jesus says some interesting things. If you're going to function as a son, get happy because you're going to get persecuted because you have a right relationship with who God is. Get happy. It's about to get real. Yeah. And, oh, by the way, while you're getting happy over the persecution, get happy. Because they're going to revile you and speak all manner of evil against you. These two are just as connected as all these. So the other thing to consider is, what price am I willing to pay to be a mature son. Yeah, count the cost. Jesus said no one puts their hand to the plow and then looks back. If you're committed to being a peacemaker, it's not for the faint-hearted. But if you're going to commit to it, do it. Keep going till peace is made. And we need to be careful because we, we in, in our world that we live in, oftentimes when we talk about peace, it means one army just kicked the snot out of another army and a bunch of people are dead, but thankfully we have peace. The kingdom doesn't function that way. The kingdom is actually upside down from that. Many times, the peacemakers are the ones that are laying their lives down. I don't mean necessarily physically dying, but you're laying your life down. Peacemaking is dirty business. It's difficult business. It's... um, it's challenging business. It's frustrating. It's disappointing. Probably many of us have experienced where you, you were walking with somebody and you thought, we've turned a corner. It's good. And then two days later, you get a call. And not only did you not turn the corner, but the corner they turned, I didn't even know that one was there. But it wasn't a good corner. And what does the peacemaker do? We're still there. We're still there. So these are my thoughts on this. These are not independent. These are all connected. These are, this is a progression of maturity that we all walk through as children of God this is, every bit is real. It, I mean, it, depending on where we are and what we're doing, it happens to some more than it happens to others. But you will be reviled. 
you will have people that speak evil against you, that mis, misinterpret what you're trying to do, that would rather attach a label to you than take time to know your heart, that would work hard to dehumanize you with their vocabulary. And all I can say is, when that happens, I'm going to be happy because I'm a son. And if it's happening, I must be onto something. That's right. Because I have found at multiple places in my life that when the breakthrough of peace was about to come, these hornets down here got really agitated because you were close to the nest. But don't pull back. Keep going. Greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. So, be encouraged. That's it. That's it. I, I am absolutely convinced that we are in a incredibly, um, what would be the right word? Yeah, critical. But we, we are at, in the, when Ian was sharing about the prayer room, what everybody was seeing today, we're at that point. This the opportunity that the kingdom has right now on the earth is huge. It's huge. But we have to get disconnected from the media. We have to stop letting the news tell us what's real and not real. Because all it does is play one side against the other and we just act like the puppets that dance however it tells us to dance. But if we're going to be sons, we're going to see the kingdom of heaven and we're going to know or learn or discover or revelate what Yahweh is saying and what's to be released on the earth. And it's not subject to who is the head of any particular government. It's resting on us that we step in and be the peacemakers. Um, I'm in some very early discussions on some things, and one of the things that came out of that discussion is, for the couple of us that are talking, is if this thing comes to pass, what we're talking about, um, we are going to, it, it cannot happen within the political construct that we're living in. It's got to be something that happens at a grassroots level. It has to be something that, that we start doing as people of God. And by the time it, it reaches the political realm, we've already done it. We've already done it. Because if I'm going to release the kingdom, I'm not going to do it in a way that it can be taken captive 
by a political agenda and morph it into something else. Not gonna do it, not gonna do it. And if I'm gonna be a peacemaker, I got to learn to be a better listener. I got to, just got to. All right, that's probably enough of me. Everybody okay? So just remember, if you wake up in the morning and you feel like this, get happy and live like this. If I can do this without smashing my finger. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are releasing something on the earth that is maturing your church into who she's supposed to be. Lord, so we step beyond the rhetoric. We step beyond the name calling and the, uh, the, all, all that swirls around us. We step beyond that and we say, come, come Holy Spirit. Move in our hearts. Show us where light needs to invade darkness. Show us the strategies. Show us the way that we are to walk. Lord, may we walk as peacemakers. May love be the reason we do what we do, and may it be the expression that people experience in what we do. As Jesus, most of all, we want people to discover you and love you. Thank you, God. Thank you for loving us and redeeming us. Thanking, thank you for giving us the spirit of reconciliation to take that to the world. Amen. Amen.